You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. Not just joy, fullness, fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forever. That's what we were talking about when we get to heaven one day. These pleasures, the Lord's pleasures, are going to go on and on infinitely forever and ever. They are in the Father's hands to give to those who belong to him. And until we get there, there will be a fullness of joy that the Lord is able to give to us, even though we have some times of difficulty and some challenges. And some of you, I know, have brought challenges into this place today. And this is why we meet together on the first day of the week, uh, to encourage one another, to sing songs of praise, to, to pr make our prayers and our petitions to, known to the Father. Not that he doesn't know them already, but it brings him pleasure to hear us speak those to him and to lean into him, to bring the, the gifts that we have out of our expressions of love and thankfulness for all that he means to us and the livelihood that we have, the jobs that he has given us, and to be able to continue to invest in the life of ministry just like we have here at Lakeview. And then, as we're doing right now, to open the word of truth, to open the word of God not expecting to be entertained by a little kid's game on a little video player. Not expecting to watch a comedy, a sitcom on the television, or to tune in to a very interesting movie or some subject, or, or open a book and read some, some novel, some, some uh, biography, or maybe even some fiction. Or to play some music through our headphones and to enjoy, as wonderful as all those things can be, to be able to open the Word of God and to study it together and to feast upon it and to let it guide us in these days that we have opportunity to serve Him. What a tremendous joy this is. Well, several of us were in attendance at the wedding of McKenzie and Logan Street last evening, right here in this place. This place was pretty filled up with uh, uh, folks that were celebrating this wonderful event. And you could literally feel, we're talking about joy this morning, you could literally cut the joy factor with a knife in here if that was possible to do as uh, they were pronounced husband and wife. They drove away from the church in a beautiful uh, black convertible bearing a sign on the back that said, Just Married. And they began heading north on the bypass uh, to make their way to a beautiful reception uh, that the uh, uh, family and friends had made available for those of us who were able to be a part of that. It was interesting, because of where we were parked, we got out of the parking lot fairly quickly. And so as a result, uh, due to the traffic, Cynthia and I came up actually came up beside them on the bypass as they were heading toward the reception. And so uh, we pulled up the side, I, I hit the window down, was on, on looking past uh, Cynthia on the passenger side, right over to, to Logan and uh, Mackenzie, and the window down, and I started blowing the horn and started to give them the thumbs up sign, and oh, they were just grinning, just ear to ear. And then some other people in front and in back got, to, got figured out what was going on, and people started tooting their horns and doing the, you know how they do, it was just wonderful. Now somehow, I don't know exactly because of the traffic pattern how, how it happened, 
But they ended up right behind our vehicle for about two stoplights. I can't remember where it was, but headed north. And we made it through two different stoplights. And I, I looked over at Cynthia and I said, you don't know this, but if you could only see what I am looking at in the rearview mirror, they're right behind us. And I said, there, there's Mackenzie waving her bouquet to the horn, and Logan's giving the old fist bump like he just won the Super Bowl. I mean, they, they, they were so happy driving up the bypass last night. I don't know when I have ever had a more joyous, you know, we're talking about joy, I don't know when I've had a more joyous ride north on the bypass. It was just really, really great. So what is joy? Let's, let's think about joy for a little bit. This, this morning is not going to be a deep dive. It's introductory remarks to our, our next study. But let's talk about joy for a moment. What, what is joy just kind of uh, from a definition point of view? Well, joy is the emotion of great delight. The emotion of tremendous happiness caused by something that is exceptionally good, exceptionally satisfying. You know, what, for, for Christians, for true believers and followers of Jesus, this meal was exceptionally satisfying to my soul, to my spirit. How about you? You know what I'm talking about? It's, it's, it's you know, yes, we, we have a little public thing and I do a little uh, part of it and whatever. But the truth of the matter is, it's really between you and God. And then collectively, as a body of Christ, there's something really special about doing that together. But it's really an intimate thing. And it's, it, there's emotion with it. And, you know, as they began singing that song, The Blood Will Never Lose Its Power, and I thought about we're going to be able to share in this meal together. And, I, you know, the tears started streaming down my face. And I can just, for years and years, I have enjoyed that thought of the blood of Christ never will never ever lose its power to save me from my sin and my shortcoming before God. Having just finished our study in the book of James, uh, those of you who are new, uh, we went through the book of James and finished uh, the study last Lord's Day. But you know that I've been praying about where the Lord would place us, where He would have us park in His scriptures, in his word of truth for a while. And my heart has been drawn to the book of Philippians. And that's what we're going to be talking about for the next few weeks. It's a tremendous letter in the New Testament, just four chapters as scholars and, and those who've gone before us. You know, the, the, the Bible was not written in chapters originally, as the Holy Spirit uh, spoke and, and had people to make this available for us. It was later on that chapters and some of the headings and topics and all those things were added in. But it's a tremendous four-chapter work, a letter, that is, it says a tremendous amount of uh, things to us about uh, this powerful theme of joy. Uh, some of the most memorized, some of the most quotable verses in the entire Bible belong to this book. Philippians. Before we're finished, if the Lord tarries, before we're finished, you are going to come across, I have no question, if you haven't already, and some of you saints, those of you who've been walking with Jesus for a long time, have already committed many of these things to memory. But they're unique and special verses that speak volumes to us 
especially on this precious subject of joy. So here's the deal. As you and I drive up and down the bypass in Marion, Indiana, day after day, it gets us where we need to go, but there's hardly a day that goes by when we don't see someone in a fender bender and sometimes worse. You know what I'm talking about? If you drive the bypass, you're going to find fender benders nearly every day. All you have to do is talk to our local authorities and they can tell you how many times every day they have to go and take care of an accident. Life is filled with so much pain and suffering up and down the bypasses of life. Did you catch this? I just made a jump there. I moved from a physical concrete highway to a life experience. Life, our lives are filled with so much pain, fender benders, and sometimes worse, that create suffering up and down the bypasses of life that God knew that we were going to need some joy along the way. I believe that, and I believe this letter that Paul has given uh, this, this church at Philippi is God's mercy to us, because Jesus told us we would have trials and tribulations in this life until Jesus comes and sets things uh, in order, and He takes us on to heaven. Until then, He said, it's going to be, you're going to have some moments of toughness. There are going to be fender benders, but I still want you to be able to have joy along the way, He says. So let me read a couple of verses just to get our feet wet, just a tad, to get some introductory thoughts before uh, our time begins to conclude. And so let's just read uh, Philippians chapter 1 and just the first two verses just to get a little taste of, of what it's like. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Wow, that right there is packed with all kinds of good stuff. We're going to try to unpack a little bit of that as we get into the study. Just the fact that he didn't say grace to you and peace from God our Father, he could have left that alone. But why did he tack on and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Why would that be important? Why would he add that in there? Well, we're going to look at some of those things as we go. I don't know about you. <clears throat> I think I do, but, I, I, but not for sure. But after three major hurricanes, with Puerto Rico nearly being wiped off the map, when you take a look at the pictures, with, with racial and political unrest sweeping our country and headlining the news every day, and if you can believe it, good people being murdered or shot just trying to attend church in America, it's a time of great concern, is it not? It's tough out there. It can be really hard on folks. And we need to find some hope when there is so much reason to be down. And I, we may not have been impacted by the hurricane, personally, living in the Midwest. 
And maybe no one has come into this place with a gun and firing at people. We, we can hardly imagine what it would be like to walk out of this church this morning and see bloodstains on the parking lot where one of our attenders lost their life after church. Or to see the bloodstains on the carpet within the church of five or six who got shot before the shooter was brought under control. It's hard for us to even imagine those things, but it, it happens. And, and no doubt, each one of us have had a fender bender, a spiritual fender bender, an emotional fender bender. It may be going on right now, and it may be... I know some folks here who've had a fender bender and just got their car fixed and had another fender bender right off the bat. You know anybody like that? So I just got my car fixed. And I'm in another accident. In our last church in Ohio, the sheriff of the county attended our church. And I can remember one day, I said, I said Sheriff, how's it going? And he said, oh my goodness. My, he said, my dad is starting in on Alzheimer's. And he said, I just came from the parking lot over at the Frisch's restaurant. And my dad backed into somebody. So I ran over and I kind of took care of things and wrote it up and got him on his way because I could help him and, br and bring some support. And he said, before, before I got to the office, I got a call, and he was in another fender bender uh, the same morning. Uh, these things can happen. Sometimes they can run sequentially. Uh, sometimes, you know, we have that feeling like when it rains, it pours, you know. It's like, what else could happen? What else could go wrong with my life? And these things happen, and the devil knows it. But, but, but God says through Paul, grace and peace. He says it's coming our way in this letter, and it's coming from God the Father, and it is coming from the Lord Jesus Christ. And I will say, on behalf of everyone who's had a fender bender recently, and I'm not talking about your car, I'm ready for some of that. I'm ready for some joy. I'm ready for some reasons to find hope and gladness and encouragement uh, along the way. So let's see where we are as we get started. This is introductory material, and this is, as I said, this is not intended to be deep dive this morning. But let's take a look at the map. I think we got the map up there. Okay, I guess my, I, I drew in an arrow there, but that didn't come out, I suppose. But if you look right at the very center, at the top center where the red lines are going up, you can barely make out the black letters Philippi. I don't have, anybody got their pointer that can point to it? I, I've got some and I didn't have it with me, but it's right in the center at the top, so to speak, Philippi. And over to the left, or to my left, is Italy, and Greece is over to, you know, to the right. And so this is where we are geographically. Uh, this city, Philippi, was founded approximately 386 B.C., before Christ, founded by a man named Philip, who happened to be the father of Alexander the Great. So that will help you kind of get this some perspective about where this is and how it came about. The reason Philip chose this site uh, is that it was literally a highway. In fact, you know, to, to my right is Asia, and to the left and up to the north is Europe. And so this city was strategically located basically on this incredible freeway between Asia and, and Europe. And once it became a Roman colony, now I want you to put a, 
put a note in your mind, if you would. Roman colony, that, that's a very important thing for us to recognize as we're talking about Philippi. And you're saying, why do I care about that? Well, you need to care. Here's why. Because in a Roman colony, there was Roman influence. And Roman influence said that the people were to worship who? Caesar. Caesar. It's no different today. There are people who believe that we should worship Buddha. And there are people who believe we should worship Muhammad. And there are people who thought we should worship uh, Sun Young Moon. And there are people who think we should worship ourselves. Uh, there are people think, who think we should worship the Democratic po uh, Party or the Republican Party. There are people who think we should worship the president. There are people who think we should worship our parents. There are people who worship their children. There are people who worship their spouse. There are people who worship their, their wife. There are people who worship their husband. There are people who worship magnetic figures and charismatic people who stand in places like this, of which I'm not one, nor do I wish to be one. There are people who worship all kinds of things in this life. And these people are, are being encouraged to worship a man, to worship a man as though he were a god. Now that's going to come back later on as we deep dive down the road. So once it became a, a legitimate Roman colony, it became not only a prosperous city, it's only about 15,000 people at the time, but it became a prosperous place economically. And it was a prestigious place. When I think about it, and I, I'm not bragging on one particular community over another, that's not my intent, but my impression is that we have a really big city to the south it's called Indianapolis. But there's a prestigious little burg called Carmel that people say is quite prosperous. And there's a lot of, a lot of uh, talent and a lot of uh, intellectual property there. And there's a lot of financial strength and wealth in that area. And so if you tell someone that you live in Carmel, Indiana, it, it may say something positive to some people about us. Well, this was kind of a Carmel in that part of the world. Artists would congregate there. There was a tremendous military presence there, so there was safety. Uh, think about it this way. It's the highway between the, the east and the west. But there's no Pony Express. There, there's no, there's no uh, telegraph. There's no hard phone line, which we hardly know about anymore. And there certainly was no internet. So how, how do you get news of the latest inventions? How do you get news of the latest things, so to speak? How, how do you know what's going on in the other part of the world? Well, you, you situate yourself on the concrete highway where they're all passing by all the time. And so what a great place to start a church. Hello? What a great place to start a church. And that's exactly what Paul did. He launched a church that was going to be the first church, literally, in Europe. And in Acts chapter 16, which is the story where, where this was actually, uh, where it's described of what was taking place in the establishment of that church, was the first convert in Europe at Philippi. It's pretty cool. 
So let's get a little timeline going. We, we see where it is geographically. Now let's get a little timeline. And I drew a little crude drawing. I think it will work I, just fine. I hope it will. But there it is. I just basically drew a line. And, and here's the legend. Here's the legend. Can you see what's going on? It starts at 34 A.D. And so, number one, Paul is converted on the road to Damascus, 34 A.D. That's, that's the arrow going to the one. So you can follow the diagram. It's very simple. Even I could understand it. I drew it. <laughs> so number two, at 49 A.D., Paul starts his second missionary journey. Number three, he goes to Philippi, which I just was talking about. He goes to Philippi. He preaches the gospel. The first convert is raised in Europe at 51 A.D. Now, by 61 A.D., number four kicks in. He's under house arrest in Rome. And that's when he writes this letter that we're going to study. That's when that happens. He's in jail. He's actually under house arrest, which is not quite as bad as the regular jail that comes later. Now take a look at number five. He's released from imprisonment, that would be house arrest, to do some further missionary work between 63 and 65 A.D. That's number five. And then sadly, number six, they throw him back in a Roman prison this time, and Nero takes the life of this precious servant of God, the Apostle Paul. So that's the timeline. So you can kind of see where we are in history as we study this work. I want you to notice number four. As I said, the letter that we're going to study was actually written when Paul was under house arrest. Now he has, think about this. <laughs> think about this. This timeline looks very simple. But from, can we put the timeline back up? Can you go backwards on that? Put that timeline back up if you're able. Okay, right there at 34 AD, that's the main deal right there. That's when Paul met Jesus. That's what I invited everyone earlier, that if you've met Jesus, partake of this meal with us. That's why I said some of you have not said to God how much you love Jesus, and you've not yet understood He died for you. And as a result, you have not shown appreciation for what He did on the cross because you haven't understood it. And so there are places like Lakeview and other life-giving churches that exist in part to, and mostly for the purpose of helping people to understand what He already did for you. And so are you the kind of person that says, when somebody does something nice for me, I appreciate it? I hope you are. Because I discovered that one time in my life, and, and I decided that I was going to show appreciation, and my appreciation was to give Him my life. So all of this happens at 34 A.D., for Paul. Now, I want you to realize that from 34 AD forward, he's now, by the, by the time it gets to 66, and even before then, he has been on three separate missionary journeys that have taken him all over the world. The known world, basically. 
He's been beaten. He's been stoned. He's been thrown in jail multiple times. We studied in in our, our series in Acts. He's had his life threatened. When's the last time your life was threatened? It's hard to relate to it, isn't it? He's had his life threatened multiple times. Now, we're coming back to joy. You're wondering, how, how's he going to get joy out of this? <laughs> you know, he's traveled all over the world. Guess what? We whine, and cry, we whine and cry if we got jet lag from a missionary trip. It's not easy. It's tough making those long trips overseas. But he didn't do it in a jet. He did it by boat. He did it, did it by land. He did it by camel. What, whatever it took, it was tough. Three journeys, beaten, stoned, in jail all the time. Had his life threatened numerous times. Shipwrecked. Remember when we studied that? Shipwrecked on an island. Snake bit. Remember that story? Snake bit. Backstabbed by fellow workers. People that he trusted. People that should have been loyal to Christ and loyal to the team. Backstabbed. Hurt. Had wounded from the inside out, ultimately thrown in prison in Rome, and he's on house arrest for a while in Rome, and then eventually set free for a couple of years, got back to the ministry, and then thrown back in the real deal jail, and Nero puts him to death at his last imprisonment. After all of that, think about it, after all of that, He writes this letter of joy and encouragement to the church. You know, my friends, as I I thought about this, I thought, that's a letter worth studying. That's really worth it. He should have been down. I would have. He should have been discouraged. I would have been. He should have been kind of used up and played out. I, I think I would have been. But no. For the Apostle Paul, it all started coming together for him at 34 A.D. It all started coming together for him at 34 A.D. It was in that moment that Paul's whole focus in life changed. He went from a person centered on himself and what he thought to being a person who died to self and one who was determined to live for Christ. So how did he stay up? This is what I'm asking myself. This is, as we walk through this, I'm asking myself this question over and over. How, what can I learn from this for my own spirit on how to stay up when I have reasons to be down? How do I share with this body of believers how you can stay up spiritually, emotionally, when you have reasons to be down? How can you be an encouragement to someone else who's looking to you for encouragement when you've got your own set of problems and struggles that you're dealing with? What can we learn from this letter that will make us stronger and more faithful and fit for this task? You know, there are 15 references to the noun joy. 15 references to the noun joy, that's kara, in the Greek. There's a verb that also means to rejoice. It's Cairo. Fifteen of those in this letter. So if I could just 
have a one-sentence attention span for you for just a moment, it would sound something like this. When we have every reason to be broken and defeated, we can turn to our God and Savior. Remember, he said God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. When we have every reason to be down, broken, and defeated, we, if we belong to Christ, we can turn to our God and Savior and find hope and help. That's the message of joy this morning. That is what I'm looking forward to in this study. The staff and I, and I know our, our lay leaders, uh, many of you are constantly working with people without hope. Some of us are helping others feel, who are feeling hopeless. We're trying to help others when we have our own reason, our own circumstances in which to feel hopeless at times. It happens to all of us. And it reminds us again of the importance of prayer, and we found it in the, in the book of James as we studied it. Do you remember the story in the Old Testament, 2 Kings chapter 5, where Naaman the leper, uh, he wanted to be healed, and uh, the prophet said, go wash seven times in the Jordan River. Do you know that story? Do you remember that? It's like, you know, we have these really hard places, these fender benders going up and down the bypass of life. Naaman had a fender bender. He got leprosy. That's a fender bender. <laughs> That's a head-on collision to me. That's a bad one. Really bad. And he wanted to be healed, and so he went to God's man, the prophet, and he said, I, I, you know, I, I want to be healed. And he said, uh, he said, go and wash in the Jordan River seven times. And what, did Naaman, what was Naaman's first response? He said, the Jordan? He said, there's two other rivers that are cleaner than the Jordan. Why can't I go wash in the clean rivers? Why are you going to make me dip in the dirty, nasty river seven times? And he didn't really want to do it. And it's almost like when we have, you know, we, we have people that come into our lives and they're hurting and they're down and they're discouraged. And it seems like they're going nowhere fast. And they're going from one fender bender to the same fender bender over and over and over and keep dinging the same fender all the time. And, and they're down and they're discouraged and, you, and, and, you, and they, they come to us and they say, how do I get out of this? How do, how, do I, how do I get this healed? How do I stop having this problem all the time? And you say, well, let's pray. What? Just pray. No, no, wait a minute. There has to be some, some better formula than that. Some, something, that's, something that's better than the dirty Jordan River. Uh, can't you give me a Zig Ziglarism that's going to uh, put my life on the, on the mountaintop and, I, and, and maybe uh, so many uh, Hail Marys and uh, forgive me for, I don't mean offense to that, but a little bit. But uh, so you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but... But you know what I'm saying. So can't you give me something better than dipping in this dirty river? But that's really what, what the prophet told him to do. Sometimes it seems like, don't tell me to pray. Don't, don't ask me to come to the church house and come to an altar and, and ask people to pray. Don't, don't ask me to stop by the prayer room like somebody did last week. And seven or eight of our fo folks were in there praying for a dear lady who needed encouragement. Don't ask me to go in there. Prayer's too simple. The Jordan is too dirty. 
Give me something that's more likable and more pleasant, and uh, I'll put more confidence in that. Sometimes, sometimes we do that, and we should not. But in chapter 4, we see an example of just how strong Paul shows his faith in God to be. Because here's one of those quotables. Here's one of those memorizable verses that I told you you're going to find, we're going to find as we walk through this. And you'll recognize it as soon as I say it. Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. What an encouragement. What a joy it is to know that I can talk to my Father in heaven. And I can join other believers in the church house, in the family of God who will come alongside me and who will pray to the only one who can truly make the difference in my life. Doctors may help only as God blesses them. Medicine may help only as God blesses it. People may help only as God blesses it. But it is God who can make the total, complete difference. Can I get an amen on that? So I can do, you can do all things. If you belong to Jesus Christ, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens. Not your courage, not your strength, not my strength, not the strength of the board, not the strength of the staff, not the strength of your best friend, not the strength of your husband or your wife or your children or, what, or your school or your team or whatever, but the strength of Jesus Christ can help you through all things. The hymn there is Christ. Paul thought he knew, see, sometimes we come into the church house and we think we know about God. We think we know something about Jesus. Uh, or we just go through life and we may not come to the church house, but if somebody says, are, are you a Christian? Well, yeah, I live in America. It's Christian, you know, whatever. Yeah, I, I believe there's a God. And we think we know something about God. Paul thought he knew something about Jesus. He really did. In fact, he thought he knew so much about Jesus that he was against him. And he was against all of the followers of Jesus. And we know the story from our study in Acts. And so what did he do? He persecuted the followers of Christ. He would have been after your case, on your case and mine, like stink on a skunk. He would have been after us once he knew we were followers of Jesus. Until 34 AD. That's why I put the timeline on there. 34 AD. He met Jesus face to face. Do you know the year? Do you know the year that you actually met Jesus face to face? Do you? 1959. 1959 for me. That was the year, 1959 A.D., that I met Jesus face to face. Do you know the year? You see, once you truly have a face-to-face encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm closing here with this statement. Once, okay, everybody take a deep breath, because it's like eight minutes till, and I'm finished. I know you can hardly believe it. A couple of you grabbed your heart. <laughs> Elizabeth. <laughs> Some of you related to that, maybe you didn't. All right, now, deep breath, here we go. Once you truly have a face-to-face encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ, not only will you be changed 
never to be the same again, because that's what happened to Paul. But you will begin to find an inner strength to draw upon, a real person who lives in you, who will give you the kind of strength and hope that Paul has, even when he's facing impossible circumstances. So, for the believer, for the true believer, the true believer, and God knows who, who, who they are, for the true believer, there's only so, so low you're going to go. We'll all get low sometimes, but there's only so low that you're going to go because he's in there. And with him and with his help and by virtue of our faith in him, we will rise back up and overcome our circumstances in due season. So this is a story about living above the circumstances of life with joy. This series is about living above the circumstances of life with joy. Let's stand. I hope that you are starting to feel encouraged already. And if you've come into this place and you've been beaten down a little bit by life's circumstances and you've had a bump and a bruise on the bypass of life recently, maybe you've had a health scare, maybe you're not just scared health-wise, maybe you've got a serious significant issue that you're dealing with. Maybe you've got a relationship thing that uh, everybody in the world, including the devil himself, and you've almost convinced yourself there's no hope, there's no way, Jose, excuse me, Jose, there's no way. Maybe you're dealing with something that is uh, so financially uh, discouraging that you cannot imagine ever being in a better position financially. Maybe you are so lonely that you cannot imagine ever really truly being happy ever again with any enthusiastic joy. Maybe you are transitioning in different seasons of life and it's not the easiest thing in the world. Our little granddaughter is with us the last couple, three days and she sat on her mommy's lap and I heard them talking early this morning and and we're talking about how when we get old, it's hard to get around. Sometimes it's hard to get up, isn't it? I don't mean wake up. I'm talking about just get up. <laughs> Amen? You can relate to that. And she looked at her mommy. She was sitting in her mommy's lap, and she was cuddling her. And she said, Mommy, you're not old. She said, Well, I'm older than what you think. I know, but I can still cuddle with you, and you can still get up. And she said, Well, I'm glad you see me that way. I'm not sure if she's going to say that about me, but... Uh, <laughs> We go through different seasons in life, and it's not easy, and you can look around. And there's some in their 90s, and some in their 80s, and 70s, and 60s, and there's some in their teens. And God bless all of us, and in between. But there's a God of joy and hope and encouragement, who loves you, who cares about you, and Paul is reminding us, you can, with the help of Jesus Christ, live above the circumstances of your life, and with joy. Father in heaven, thank you for this. We're speaking the truth in advance for some folks because they can't see it and can't feel it yet. And they're listening 
and they have a hope so, but it's not real for them yet. And for those people today that are listening by way of the internet or right here in this place, would you just encourage them today to keep on keeping on and to keep their trust in you? Would you convince them and the rest of the body of Christ that it's not juvenile to pray over hard matters? That it's the right place to start and it's the right place to continue to be engaged in life circumstances. And Lord, for those who've got a testimony and a song in their heart and, and uh, have, a, have words of encouragement of what God has already done for them and the, on, the, on the bypass of life, let our stories be an encouragement to others who need a ray of hope and encouragement. And so, Father, we pray that you will give this church and give each one of us who are in attendance in these, in these studies, in these services, Lord, give us uh, a, a raise in our joy quotient. Take, take the spiritual water table level of joy and would you just raise it up like a flood Bring it up a little higher in our lives and encourage our hearts so that we can be the faithful, valiant warriors like we see in Paul, that we can be that way until you call us home. Thank you for hearing our prayers. We reach out to you and thank you for your love. Now, Father, if there's somebody that hasn't reached out and made Jesus their Savior, help them to do it today before it's too late. We, we know you're coming soon. We know you're coming for your children, for your church, your true church. And I pray, Lord, that they will not wait and continue to, to postpone what they'll be glad they've done when they stand before you one day in heaven. And we thank you. Give us a great week. Protect us from harm from this enemy. And shore up our spirits in joy is our prayer. And all God's people said together, amen, and praise the Lord.